Talk Recorded live. I'm Mara Chwastik. I'm Wayne Gladstone, and this is Sticks and Stones. The show where words will never hurt you. We actually did it all right. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight. Uh, As I said, I'm Mar, and I'm here with Wayne. And we're here for yet another phenomenal podcast episode of Sticks and Stones. And even more exciting, tonight we have an awesome guest. Our guest tonight is Mike Drucker. Mike is a writer for Fallon as well as an accomplished stand-up and has, has been doing comedy for as long as one can be doing anything, it seems. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> You're very uh, old. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Since the dawn of time, I imagine since, you know, since the, the earth came together, you've been doing this, yeah. no? Yeah. There were only comedy. 48 states. Right. <laughs> We asked a bunch of questions, you know, before we sort of pre-interview, and that is what I got overall from from what you said. You've really, I mean, a lot of times it's sort of a story of somebody struggling doing doing this job or that job, and they're trying to get in. It seems as though you just you just dove right in, and you have you've been you've been doing comedy for pretty much your your whole adult life. How about that? That's probably true. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I started comedy when I was 20. I was 20, but I was about to turn 21. Um, so I, I guess most of my adult life, yeah, I've been doing comedy. There you go. So for like yeah. two years there that you were dodging the draft, you were, yeah. uh, you know, maybe maybe not totally doing comedy. And you, right. uh, you, you got noticed in a MySpace stand-up competition? This is way um, back when, because it's MySpace. That was a thing, still. I kind of remember. Yeah, maybe Mars right. You must be so old, even though I'm older. Really old. Whoa. Like, really old. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'd only been doing comedy maybe a year and a half or maybe two years, which back then seemed like I'd been doing it forever. And I was not <laughs> very good at it at all. But I happened to uh, host this, like, talent show at NYU, which means I got to do, like, you know, 10 minutes of stand up in front of 500 college kids, which is the, you know, when you're just doing open mics, that's suddenly the most ideal circumstance you can do comedy. Right. And yeah. I had the foresight to record it. And there was a MySpace competition, uh, that went with the movie Ratatouille because it had Pat and Oswald in it and it had Janine Garofalo. They were like, Oh, let's do a stand up competition on MySpace. And right. I entered it and I was chosen as one of the finalists. And then I made the final finals and I got to go to LA. Oh, that's why yeah, you told us you met Patton because of this, but you didn't tell us about the Ratatouille uh, yeah. tie-in. That makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've only spoken to him a little bit online, but he seems like the most impossibly nice person in the, in the face of the earth. He's uh, very nice. He's very nice, and he's very supportive, and he's very <laughs> smart. Yeah. Like, nothing yeah, I hear that all the time, that he's, like, this very supportive person. Um which yeah. is kind of amazing. I, I feel like for as much as people will sort of say, oh, this person or that person helped, I don't hear anyone as universally like uh, liked and, and thought of as supportive as Pat Oswalt. I mean, is there anybody yeah. else that, that comes to mind as like, no, no, this, this is an incredibly supportive person of new talent? Well, Jesus. You know, because I mean, the I mean, times you'd only see one set of steps, he was carrying you. But other than that, I'd go <laughs> Pat in second. <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's a good amount of people like that in comedy. You just almost yeah. like need to like stumble up, stumble upon them and be lucky to meet them. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let me let me ask you this, um, Mike, because you you do a lot of stand up, and of course you yeah. you write you write in more than one format. You've done some you know script work and 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 you know monologue jokes, I'm sure, and desk pieces, and written all sorts of things. Sure. And McSweeney's, we posted some, but is uh, is stand up the thing that's most at home to you? Is that the form of comedy that you enjoy the most, or is it just another way to be funny? Um, I think it's just another way to be funny. It's, and it's not that I don't have uh, a home in comedy. It's, you know, like if you had asked me five years ago, I would have said like, yeah, just stand up, stand up, the only thing. But now it's sort of like, you know, there's different formats for different things. Right. You know, and so sometimes I'll write something on Twitter that I'm like, this is such a great joke, but it would never work in stand up just because it's too much of a Twitter joke and it wouldn't work on TV. And then, right. you know, I've also done video game work, and I'm super, super proud of that. And there's part of me that's like, oh, my God, I've done that. So it's, it's I think, and maybe it's, it depends on who you are as a comedian, but I think the more you do it, the more you're like, oh, I don't have to say that I'm, you know, you know, I'm not, a, it's not like you have to be like, I'm a mom first. Like, it's not like, <laughs> you, have to like you know, right. category. You can just be but like, there oh, are comics. There are comics like that, right? I mean, there are guys who sure. do comic who who that's. But you know, let me ask you this. So, so um, I first of all, I'm not. I mean, there are you know, I wrote a book, I do some writing, I've done stand up, but I you know, it would be ridiculous yeah. to refer to myself as a stand up. But but I don't really like. I mean, I like watching it, but I don't really love performing it or even trying to think about that because I'm so torn when it comes to stand-up, and I'm wondering how you deal with this. Like, on the one hand, you know, if if I work on a bit, if I work on a piece, if I think something is conceptually sound and I really like it, then, like, that's the bit. That's like, you know, I'd want to write that as the monologue. That's how it, these words make the most sense. And yeah. there's one audience that would agree with me, and it would get a great reaction. And then there's another audience that might not buy it at all. And at the same time, I feel like, you know, you're a comic. You're there to make people laugh. That's your job. So you've got to shift, you know, shake it up, and maybe you start doing some crowd work, and maybe you throw in the easy joke, and then you work your material back in. I, I believe, A, that a comic should do that, and B, I hate doing that. Like I would just yeah. go up there and commit to it and get a mediocre response rather than fucking with it. And I think that would make me a bad comic, and it's a bad way to be. How do you? What do you? Or do you feel that tension? You sure. know, as a writer I, versus a performer. Of course, and you know, and sometimes, and the thing is, um, you know, at least in my experience, you know, there's different situations, and there's sometimes that I'm wrong. Like there's sometimes I'll write something um, that I think is amazing and I'll really think a lot about it, and I'll really concentrate on it. And then I go in front of an audience that might be like my ideal, easy A, 100%, if it's going to work, going to work audience, and it'll suck. And, right. you, know, it's, you know, it's me having to go back to the drawing board. On the other hand, you know, I don't think that like, you know, one of my flaws as a stand-up um, is that I'm not a good road dog. Like, I like going on the road, and I like doing, like, I've done a ton of Comic-Cons, I've done a ton of clubs, but I'm not a person who can, like, go to a casino in the Midwest and do well. It's just not a skill I have. And there are people who can. There's people like, you know, like Mike Lawrence and Mark Norman, who are amazing, amazing comedians of my generation, who can go anywhere that there's a crowd of people and a microphone and be the best comedian of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm And don't get me wrong, I respect that. 
yeah, yeah. But yeah. I don't I don't I, I don't want to be that. I can't because I can't, and I because I just my, the words are too precious. Like I don't want to. I don't know. I mean, I guess sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, like, also, like, you know, different, like, comedy. Comedy, I think, is sometimes too too compartmentalized. Like, sometimes people are like, you know, like, you know, if if, if you know. Kanye West does a show in front of the Knights of Columbus. It's not going to go well. Nor should he have to, like, change for them. You know what I mean? But, like, people, like, yeah. comp- like with music, it's like, okay, well, you should do it. This is, like, comedy, I think, is weirdly seen as a genre of music. So all comedy fans should like all comedy. But that's not right. real. Comedy is its own artistic genre. So, right. you know, you're going to do shows in front of people who shouldn't like you and who aren't right. going to like you. Um you know, that's that's so what do you do? Here. What do you do? What do you do specifically, like Mike Drucker? You're, you're, you, you know the material is good, let's say, because you've done it enough times and, and it's done well. You're, yeah. you're now in front of an audience who, you know, that's not their thing. It's not what they want to hear. Do you tend to commit to it and just say, well, I'll get my middling laughs? Or do you fuck with it and, you know, how, or, and try to bring them to you? What's your... What's your... It, it honestly depends on the audience. Um, and I don't mean, like, if they're heckling me or not. Like, sometimes you can tell that that audience is ready to have a good time and, you know, they just want you to be in the moment and do crowd work. But they're there to have right. fun. And, they, and they're there genuinely to have fun. And in case like that, I'll try to do crowd work. Or, you know, there's a, you know, because I don't want anyone to have a bad time. That said, sometimes, right. like, I've done shows where right off the bat I've been like, I, and I don't mean, like, aggressively, like, oh, boy, I'm in, you know, well, I'm in here, and I don't. These aren't my political group. But you know, sometimes it'll be like I, five minutes, and I understand that you don't like me. I know that I don't like you. So this isn't gonna go well. And and that's sort of like you know, if it's like a small show, you smaller, big show, you just sort of try to get through it without burning the bridge as hard as possible. <laughs> so you can get paid, and you can't get like a bad reputation. That's it. I've bombed so many times. I've done the, the wrong thing so many times. That's right. Um, you know, but as far as artistic integrity goes, I think that, yeah, you should stay true to, you should definitely stay true to what you want to say. You know, I've, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just not a person who wants to go out there and do 45 minutes of like, you know, women are weird. Dogs and cats are funny. Like that's just not what I want to do. And that's not. Well, what never I mind. I'm shutting this podcast down. Then that's what I was expecting, and yeah. I, there's no use for you here. That's but it. Don't 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 you find not not like the really super talented people, but don't you find yeah. in comedy because I have hung around enough comedy clubs, not lots of people who are like committed even to comedy, who yeah. maybe even like host open mics uh, and, and stuff, and like certainly are qualified. It always shocks me how many people in comedy clubs seem to give not at, care not at all about material. Like they will say, like that's a good comic, that's a good comic. Mostly on like delivery, stage premise. Even if the material is so beat, it's like ten, twenty year old jokes. That guy knows what he's doing. And obviously, at the higher level, no one says that. But aren't you? Do you agree? Like, do you see that a lot of people like at the B level, like working even comics who don't seem to give a crap about quality jokes, but just more about like the immediate reaction of the laugh and like the smooth sell? Or you think? I, I mean, yes and no. Um, and again, it, it honestly depends on like 
you know, it's it's comedian to comedian. I mean, there's some comedians who like, you know, like like for me, I don't write as much new material as I'd like just because, um, so you know, sometimes you know if I'm freelance, if I'm like doing movie punch up while doing my job, sometimes it'll be like two or three weeks where I just don't have the emotional energy to write something new. You know, so it's hard. It's hypocritical for me to fault someone who's not bringing something new to the stage every time. Um, that's it. I think there are other people who like, you know, it becomes it, it becomes their nine to five job, and there's nothing right. wrong with that. You know, but you know, it becomes like, all right, well, you know, my resume stops in 1989, and this is what I can do. You know, and that's sad, but it's also sort of like, okay, well, that's the life you you've chosen for yourself. And I feel like I'm I'm yeah, I'm, I'm painting it in a light that seems very haughty. No, no, I, you know what, you know, frankly, I gotta, I, have to, I don't, I don't think you are at all, but, but I know why you feel that way because I have spoken to the comics, and um, they, they don't say that. <laughs> I, I think, I think here's why. I think the, the comics I've spoken to, you know, I know writers and they speak like writers, and then I yeah. know comics and they're mostly comics, and you are a weird hybrid because you're yeah. legit in both. Um, right. And and often there are plenty of people, as you know, who who get some success in the writing and then they stop doing the stand-up because they never yeah. really want to do it in the first place. So I think you are between two worlds, which is why I'm pestering you so much because oh, yeah. it it interests me. But but you're right. Like I had a comic friend who does a ton more comedy than I, and I was talking to him about a joke and I was talking to him about like word choice, like yeah. specifically like the verb I'm using. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's weird. I don't, I don't work like that. I just go up there and I do it, and I go up and I do it and I do it and I do it. And that's great. But I think he does that because he can't sit down on the computer and do it that way. That's just his process. He has to like get it out. He's not like a writer first. And I find like those guys are almost sometimes needlessly like hostile to writing. It goes both ways. Just as like the guys who are too precious about their words don't care about what's going on up on stage. Exactly. They're like can't. And I think both are important. I think, you know, I think both are important, and I think that I understand the perspective of both. You know, because there are also situations where, you know, the way I say something, you know, not like I'm being, you know, a a goofy-ass clown, but like, you know, a certain inflection will cause a word to do better than it was doing before, and that's something that almost comes from just accidentally doing it rather than tinkering mm-hmm. with it mathematically. Um, right. But the, re- the reverse is also true. I'll also have the most amazing story that I tell vehemently, and I really think it's funny, and it's just missing certain words that program the audience to know where the expectation is going to go. Right. Right. Yeah, there, there is a lot of programming in terms of what, you know, the, just even the cadence. People, you could do the cadence of a joke and people kind of know instinctively where to laugh. And so if you're not, if you don't have sort of the technical details down, it's, it's very confusing to an audience. Um, yeah. And you mentioned uh, that, you know, you like every stand-up, uh, you've, you've bombed quite a bit because I think that's inevitable as you're doing it. But do you have any stories of sort of the worst times you were on stage or the worst you have bombed for for a performance? Um, I, was it Knights uh, of Columbus, right? Um, <laughs> you opened for Kanye. You started, you started singing Kanye? Yeah. I did a show. I remember I did a show on the day of the Boston bombing after it Oof. happened. And I, and I remember the audience was already bad. And I think, and I was doing so bad. And I was embarrassed. And I Could anyone have done well at that point, though? Like, no. were you specifically doing bad? Or it was just, no, but, there's no way? 
but stand-up, like, stand-up's almost like, doing stand-up at a bad show is almost like when you see, like, an old ninja movie where you just see ninja die after die after die. Like, <laughs> you're like, well, I'm the 17th ninja, and I think, like, I'm, I have to run at this guy, and I'm going to die. <laughs> but I also don't have any other role. And, like, because the thing is, like, you know, it would have been possible maybe that day for me to be like, hey, such a bummer of a day, I just don't want to do this. But I was already at the show, and there's, there's, there's nothing more cowardly than being at a show and saying, you know what, I'm good. <laughs> there's just nothing right. that seems more cowardly. Um, so the audience is bad. I got heckled by multiple people. You got heckled and I was at that, that show. I got like, heckled who, at the show. Who in that um, audience in that environment is going to, like, has the, the will and the spirit to just be like, yeah, you know what, everything is depressing and horrible and the worst ever, so fuck this guy. Like, that's amazing I mean, to me. I would think there would just be kind of a general tone of sadness. I also but... wasn't good. Like, I wasn't good that <laughs> night either. Like, it wasn't like, like, I was not bringing a torch to light their night. Um, so I don't want to, like, defend them heckling me, but they were right. And, uh, and I think, like, I just sort of, like, broke down and was, like, not, like, broke down crying, but sort of, like, got mad and, like, tried to, like, and I got that, like, that thing that you get where you get really mad, you're, like, close to crying so you don't speak right. And <laughs> Your voice shakes. Exactly. My voice shakes. And yeah. I don't usually get that. I'm usually pretty good with crowd work. And it was just, like, a situation. It had, And honestly, it, I knew that, like, the thing had happened, and it was, but I think it was just the situation was so bad. It didn't have anything to do with the day. You know, obviously that was tragic and, every, and everything, but, like, I think it was just me being in a situation where I'm like, I'm doing so bad I don't know what to do right now. Um... And I, <laughs> I almost tried to fight one of the guys, and other comedians stopped me from fighting him. Like other comedians were like, "Wow, no, don't!" And, and Wait, like, like a physical fight? Like, like you I were was, like, I tried to go fight him, and other comedians kept me. And the thing is, I'm not that person. I, I, I do. Yeah, not I, I've only seen you perform once, but I can't imagine that. Yeah, not because no. of the way you looked. You just no, didn't no, no, seem no, like no, a hostile, physical, angry guy. Yeah, nothing about so your mad. demeanor makes me think like, "Oh shit, don't fucking cross him. He's gonna take you down." And it honestly wasn't that he crossed me. It wasn't that, like, I had to prove something. I think I was so embarrassed uh, that I went into this fight-or-flight mode. And for some reason, like, the rare time I went to fight rather than flight. Um, and, again, that was, it was all – it was me making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Like, it wasn't like – you know, there are times I've been where I've been like, nope, you're wrong, and I've handled it like a king, and I felt great. But that time, I had made every possible bad decision from trying to do, like, goofy material on such a shitty day to, like, not just sort of, you know, cutting out. Like, it was just such, like, a, you know, it was, it was just such a bad decision. Yeah. So, um, did the other comedian have to, like, actually hold you back? I mean, how... how it wasn't, like, holding me back. It was more like them just being like, don't, don't do that. Don't. Like, they could tell what it. I was trying to do, and they were like, don't do that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, just going from from terrible circumstances to to good circumstances, I know I've only, God, unfortunately, I've only seen you perform once, and it was years ago, and it was just before the show was just before uh, you. Now you're back, and for a while yeah. now, but it was just before you went out west. It was just before you yeah. moved to California, and you literally showed up. I forget where it was, um, um, but you showed up in an overcoat and with your suitcase. And you were leaving from the gig to the airport. Oh and you yeah, kept your coat. I remember that you, show. Right, I got, it was Gonzalo, a Gonzo's show. Yeah, 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 I yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like an, and uh, 
Yeah. Right. And so you had the, but you kept the coat on and you had the suitcase up there with you. And it just lent this like air of urgency to to the material, like kind of like put everyone on the edge of their seat because it was kind of like, oh. I, I just got 10 minutes. I got the, the meter running outside. I just have to be funny for 10 minutes. <laughs> Sit tight. Gather around. Okay. Jokes. Uh, although yeah. you weren't like a shticky 90-year-old uh, Catskill comedian, but um, – so I don't know why I was using that voice, but yeah. it was it was like the best situation for comedy, and uh, yeah. and it was a great set. And you, I guess, apparently we don't need to go into it, but you apparently did my favorite bit, which you don't do anymore, which is not a rape joke, but it does touch on the subject of rape, but more so about how the '90s or into the early millennia had instilled such fear and paranoia in sensitive young men like you were and I am yeah. that you were just afraid all the time. I mean, they told me freshman year of college, if you go to a party and a girl has had one beer and you've had one beer and you end up having sex tonight that night, then when you wake up, you should walk to the police and turn yourself in because guess what? You just raped someone. Like they told us that. Uh, right. freshman year of college. And, uh, well, I don't know how to get into it, but apparently you have this whole bit, which I loved, which um, which was about a true story, I guess, of being so paranoid that even though you were going to have consensual sex with your girlfriend, you wanted her to sign a waiver. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, like, uh, and... Uh... I, well, basically, when I lost, because I just, you know, like when I when I when I lost my virginity, um, it, it neither of us knew what we were doing, and it was c- completely consensual. There was no alcohol, there was nothing untoward involved, but we, I just neither of us knew that it was gonna be painful, so she started crying, and not like, and the thing is, I stopped immediately, but I freaked out, like I, I, I was like, I was like, oh my god, did I? you know, did I just assault you? Which made it worse, because she was like, no, of course not. <laughs> right. Um, Sorry. She was like, of course you didn't. And I was like, no, we need to be legally sure I didn't. Um, <laughs> which, is a, which is also such a cruel way to react. And I, you know, right. felt terrible about it, but but it was one of the, cause it was one of those situations where, because in your head, you know, you you build it up as it's going to be this, not, it, like, this great thing, it's going to be awesome, right. and everyone, like, afterwards, like, both of you are going to be cool about it. Because that's not, like, you know, I'm, I wasn't trying to like, you know, I wasn't like, oh, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get what I need and get out. Like, I was like, oh, this is gonna be an amazing thing, and it just was right. so shockingly jarring uh, that I freaked out. But the reason I stopped telling that story is somebody, uh, an audience member, told me how uncomfortable it made them, and I was like, and I was like, oh, I see. This is one of those things where um, this could be misinterpreted as me, you know, just straight up doing like like a joke about rape and I, and I, but I just didn't want to like, I didn't want to like, cause I didn't, cause nor was that like, like I, you know, it was a, it was a joke that did well and people liked and I had done on enough shows and had not received that note, but nor did I want to have in the back of my head that like every time I did it in an audience of, you know, a hundred, there was like five people who were really weirded out by it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it's you know your I mean? it's your right, and I understand why you wouldn't want to make anyone feel that way. But I mean, having seen the bit, um, yeah. I, I can only imagine that anyone who could feel that way from it was is going to be feeling that way, is going to need trigger warnings, you know, all the time. Right. Of course. So, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, you don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, and then at the same time, anyone's entitled to their opinion, but. 
Whatever. So, the, but the funny point. Let me. Can we go to the, at least the button of the greatest oh, button? Oh yeah, the button of the joke. No, yeah. Uh, is that years that, later, right? Your mother finds this waiver in your room. Is, yeah. This contract for consensual sex. Which is, I'm sure, not legally binding. Um, uh, probably not. Probably not. But, but you but know, I'm going to need a trigger. Um, she found it and called me and was very. She wasn't worried even. It was just more like her being like, "What is this?" Well, the way you tell the joke, the thing was like, she's like, wait, did you rape someone? Right? And the thing is that to me is the reason I love the bit, and I'm not just blowing smoke. The reason I put it up there is seriously a great bit is that in this, with with a good-hearted person, with, with someone who is not a monster, but who is sensitive and caring, who is getting taught the public service announcements to address horrible evils. They right. can get so turned around and in, and get them to engage in behavior to do the one thing that would actually make them look like the exact thing that they are not. Because exactly. who but a horrible monster would draft up some such a document. And exactly. I thought I thought that added a level of satire and weight to the whole bit that just Thank took you. it to to another level. And and uh, like I said, I told Mara, Mara about the bit like years ago. Just like Thank we ain't talking about Twitter people, so so at the same time, while you don't want to offend anyone, it little it does break my heart a little bit because I I love that bit. But Mars the real game question for us. the real question, Mike, is uh, are you comfortable with Wayne doing it? Because obviously he's got a down to such a point that he doesn't need you at all. And uh, if you're not doing it anyway, maybe it's okay. I haven't, done, I haven't even done I haven't even done the vague thing of what I called approximating stand up in two years. So uh, <laughs> I don't think there's any fear of that. But it's time for a stick stone story. Maybe you can okay. drop a contract. Um, okay. So our first game is stick stone or story. As you may have heard or may be aware, my last name is Chuas Stick. So Stick mm-hmm. is me. Wayne Gladstone. Stone is him. And the, there is a third story, which is about an unrelated person entirely. But it did happen to someone. So should you want uh, extra credit, you can take a, a guess at who that person might be. Uh, good luck, because it could be anyone in the world. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to read. I'm going to read three stories. I'll read them all, and then afterwards you can you can take a shot at guessing who's who. Okay. Ready to go? All right. Yeah. All three of these stories happened within the last ten years. I want to specify that. All right. Okay. So the first, the week before the movie Precious came out, this person boarded a plane and ended up sitting in first class next to Gabourey Sidibe. I don't know if I pronounced her name correctly, but I said it with confidence. So, um, And this individual politely offered Miss Sidibe some pudding that the individual was not eating. That's story number one. Okay. Story, story number two, uh, this person ended up in an exclusive Las Vegas hotel high-rise and wound up sharing an elevator with Wolfgang Puck, who made fun of the individual's outfit. Only after that moment did the person recognize that the chef was the famous one whose face was on soup cans. Okay. And the third story, after encountering this celebrity in Atlantic City, this person was invited back to Bill Cosby's exclusive hotel room, but declined the offer, despite the assumption that there would probably be pudding. Those are your three stories. You've got Precious, uh, Gabourey Sidibe. Uh, please tell me if I'm oh. saying that wrong. Oh, yeah. No one knows. No one knows, right? Yeah. Wolfgang Puck in Las Vegas and Bill Cosby in Atlantic City. Okay, um, let's see. I'm gonna get Wayne for for Wolfgang Puck. Okay. I will only tell you all answers at the end. 
And then I'm gonna guess I'm gonna guess sticks or gabarite to the back. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, last one. I don't know. You're going with the story. Bill Cosby is the third. So party. you don't even know, but you're saying yes. Okay. All right. Well, you, you don't have to guess who. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. That Bill Cosby uh, was was not either Wayne nor myself. Uh, would you like to take a guess at uh, who that happened to? Any random person in the world? I mean, I feel like it's happened to like a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> well, a celebrity, a star. Fair, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> a celebrity? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. That's all right. That was Chelsea Handler. Oh wow. That was. Chelsea Handler story, yeah, uh, in, in the last 10 years. As to the other two, you swapped them. Wolfgang Puck making fun of uh, the outfit in the hotel uh, elevator, that was me. That happened to me. Um, and Wayne is the one who shared his pudding. I offered, I offered precious pudding, but it wasn't like a fat joke or anything. I don't want, I don't want to be clear about that. I was, I was, I was. The company happened. It was one of those rare times where first class is the same as everything else, and the company was paying for it anyway. So I was in first class, and it was just a week before Precious came out. So I kind of, sort of, maybe knew, but I didn't really, really realize she was famous. I just knew that her pudding was done, and I wasn't eating mine. I was just being neighborly. But she nope. didn't want my, she didn't want my pudding. No. That's uh, that's it. And then, but Mara got mocked for her outfit by Wolfgang Puck. Apparently, I did. Was yeah. it like a, like a flirting mocking? Was it like him being like, ah, I'm being a uh, creep? Yeah, yeah. It was. I was with uh, I was with three other girls, and we were we had like a rare opportunity to have my boss's uh, very exclusive hotel room and all of the perks that went along with it. And we were not girls who usually got that level of uh, of high rollerness in Las Vegas, and we were kind of living it up. And we got all, you know, like Las Vegas up, which I guess is just another way to say like we dressed as much like hookers as we were felt comfortable doing. Um, and uh, and yeah, in the elevator, what did he, we'll say? he was he was just like. Oh, I can see you girls are having a nice quiet night in. Those look very comfortable. You obviously are, you know, mm-hmm. mocking the like uh, how uh, done up you uh-huh. were, and you know, like that. Uh, and I but I, I did not realize who he was. He, he didn't have any like food-based flirts. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, well, he did, he did say, "Are you going to just watch movies and, and eat popcorn?" So I don't know. Does that count? No, that's, no, it does not. Okay, <laughs> it does not. No, no, it does not count. <laughs> <laughs> so we are we are halfway through the show. We got to know each other a little bit a little bit better. You did not win the first game. That's okay. I I was a guest <laughs> on the show once when I was pimping out um my new book last week and uh uh if it makes you feel any better cuz I know you feel really bad right now. Uh I also did I also didn't get I didn't win that game. I did not win <laughs> that game. But uh I don't know if you know Frank Lesser, who used to write for Colbert. When yeah. he was on our show, yeah, he won that game. He won that game. Oh. He won both games. He won he got everything right. So Yeah. Yeah. All right, which takes us now to uh tonight's show. Now I know now I know shows like to safeguard their processes and everything else and there's all these political considerations. So I'm not really asking anything like that, but for for the listening audience can you just, in whatever way you feel comfortable, talk about like how writing for a show like Jimmy Fallon, in it, like you know, it's still like 
you know, it's not like you you know you wake up at noon and you're hungover and you phone in three no, jokes yeah. and go back to bed. It's a real job. So could yeah. you kind of give a flavor of the way in which like just the structure of it and and how it might be more of a real job than people actually imagine? And when I say real, I mean in the terms of structure and workday and stuff like that. Um, it's I mean it's a real job in that like you know I have a desk. There's no you know I don't punch in or anything, but there are deadlines. And right. different people have different ways of, like, you know, doing stuff. Like, I like to get into the office early in the morning just because at home, I'm, you know, I have my video games and I have my TV, and it's very easy for me to just not concentrate. So, but some people, it's the opposite. Some people are at work and they're like, ah, I'm not comfortable here. So they'll write, you know, and they'll come in at, like, 10 um, mm-hmm. or, like, you know, the process, as far as, like, what we do every day, it depends day to day. But usually, generally, like, in the morning, we'll have pitch deadlines. So, you know, every morning, people pitch ideas like sketches or, like, you know, short bits or, you know, things that might just require a little more work than your regular monologue joke. Um, so you'll pitch those. And then there's joke deadlines where you'll send, like, a couple jokes and a couple jokes and a couple jokes. Um you know, and before that, and, and again, my, my I also work today, so my brain is just fried. Um, but, you know, you'll have, like, at night, they'll be like, okay, these are the big news stories that we want to cover. So, you know, it'll be like, Jeb Bush said this, or Donald Trump's doing this, or, you know, or like an entertainment news, you know, where it'll be like, you know, people are, these two people are feuding on Twitter, or these people are breaking up, and we'll figure out what we want to do, and what we want to do jokes on, and we'll pitch ideas. You know, and in the mix, too, there's also, like, you know, crazy news stories, where it'll be like, someone found the world you know, fast dog, and you'll do stuff on that. And so mm-hmm. you're sort of pitching ideas, you're pitching jokes, then you'll have a meeting or two where you talk it out, where you read it, and things are picked or not picked. And then we'll go to a rehearsal in front of our live audience. And that rehearsal, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy, who's already, like, picked stuff himself too, but, like, Jimmy will practice stuff in front of a live audience, see what works, see what doesn't work. And from there, that'll be cut down, and then we'll do a show at 5 p.m., sometimes earlier, sometimes later, depending on day needs and we'll do the show and that's all one day and it's a lot yeah. it's almost like it's almost it's a little less like you know having a nine to five job uh and more like you're in like an uh like an eight to ten hour college class <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah. for better or worse you know as far as both both the casual nature of it you know and it's you know work you know you're writing you're writing you're writing then you turn in then you like wait to see results you're not being graded. That's it. No, that's interesting though, because when when Frank was talking about Colbert, that's the exact same thing he said. He said it, it very much. Well, did he say high school or did he say? But it remind it was a very academic experience for him in the yeah. sense that you know it was peers, it was fun, but there was also you know like exam days and tests and right and wait right wrong ways to do things and working with others like I guess like lab partners. I forget what he said, but exactly. uh, it's interesting that the two of you on two you know they're not. Similar shows, um, but they are both, you know, daily. Yeah. Well, I don't want to call it daily, you know, had that same experience. I think that's helpful. Um, all right. It's very, let's, let's, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, oh no. Well, you know, the big difference between that and a nine, nine to five is like, you, you know, like everyone has days when they're not feeling well, they're in a bad mood, and so they just don't perform, but you really don't have like, fuck it, I'm not going to do work today days. You just can't. Right. Uh, you, you know, uh, and that's and that's probably the hardest thing. I think like the thing that 
and I'm sure, you know, we all know this, but the thing you don't know when you start doing writing or even comedy for a living is that it's an endurance test more than a talent test. Um, yes. You know, what do you, I mean, I think I know what you mean by that, but what do you mean by that? Not necessarily like you, can't, like you should have no talent, but like anyone can be funny. Like if you read internet comments, like on any news story, there's going to be someone who has the funniest observation. That's right. The trick to it is to being able to do it day after day after day after day after day and to do it creatively and to some extent, you know, to not just copy yourself or to just like reuse old things. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of endurance in it. And I think that's the hardest thing to learn. It's what a lot of people don't have. You know, a lot of people are super talented, but they just don't like, you know, when you've seen your 15th Donald Trump premise of the week, you know, there's a point when you're sort of like, okay, I need to, like, even if I don't care about this news story, I need to find a way to make other people care about this news story. Well, right. I mean, you know, a lot of people are funny, but um, they're also uh, lazy, right? Just, just, I have a lot of hilarious friends who are who are just yeah. not very disciplined in in yeah. their... And uh, you just can't be your say. You know, that's... No, I mean, some people are, right. like... Some people are so vastly talented that they can, like, roll in and sort of, like, you know, eyeball things and be like, this is the right answer. But that's few and far between. Most people are, you know, have to go to a chalkboard and do a math problem and come out with an answer after a lot of work. Do you think it's, um, for you personally, is it easier or harder then to be thinking that, you know, you're not necessarily pitching jokes for you. You're not pitching them in your voice. You're pitching them... For someone else who's going to have a particular set of, you know, what that individual finds funny, is that easier because you're like, okay, I know what he likes, and and so I can appeal, or is that a little bit harder because what he likes maybe doesn't always 100% line up with what you think is the best? Um, in my, I mean, it, it gets easier as you do it more. You know, mm-hmm. like of, you know, I've done award shows and stuff too with like different hosts, and it's one of those things where you have to get to know somebody. Hopefully they have previous comedy that you can look at. I mean, a lot of it's like, you know, in your head doing sort of a mental impression of someone else in writing. It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily hard, but it's a thing that you have to do. Uh, uh, Another thing a lot of people do, like I'll have friends who are submitting to other TV shows and they'll show me their packet, and it's very funny, but it's very not in the voice of that show, you know? Right, right. People like to say funny is funny, and that's true, but it's also like a show isn't looking to train somebody. They're looking to someone be like, all right, they understand us. They can start right. right away. Right. Yeah. And that, that goes for everything. That goes in terms of publishing as well and websites. I mean, you know, we, we ran one of your McSweeney pieces. McSweeney's clearly has its own voice, a very strong right. voice. But even, even you know, uh, it's amazing to me how uh, how often uh, people will ask for advice, and that's always like the top of the list advice. And it's also yeah. like, the advice I always feel is the most the least likely to be heated and listened to. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Like, it would be weird to submit a packet to the Jimmy Fallon show without watching a bunch of the Jimmy Fallon show. Right. And I'm not, it's not like the easiest thing to do, but I'm sure there have been people who've had that opportunity who've done that. And And certainly in in the, the, you know, the, I certainly know that from the, from internet publications. They just don't do it. It's bizarre. But, you know, my friends think it's funny. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the same. It's literally the same anywhere you write. You're right. Like, you know, whether it's, you know, you're trying to get, a, again, talk to a publisher or a website or, you know, I think, though, people, a lot of people who want to write um, 
they let, let me back up. A lot of there's a lot of people who think that they want to write for a website or they think that they want to write for a TV show, but they want to be a famous writer. And right. everyone wants to be right. a famous writer. Everyone wants to be well loved and beloved, but people want to be like, you know, they don't want to be like, okay, he's a writer for the Daily Show. Uh, it's like he's the writer for the Daily Show. You know what I mean? Like it's he wants to put the cart before the horse. Right. 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 Um, it's, or, it's, or he or she. I'm not saying women are just as likely as men to miss this target. I don't know. If that was a bad. Oh man! Now I feel as uncomfortable <laughs> as that audience member for your lack of. Equality and your gender inclusion. And I ruined it more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I thought you could do it the other way. I thought you were only saying he because only men have this problem because women are so much more inherently worthwhile. They would never make this error. How's that as the case? I, I, I do feel like with the internet age, women are far funnier writers overall. And that's not me like papering over, but like I feel like all the like there's a ton of people on Twitter. I'm like, you're much funnier than I am. Um, and you don't have my job. I do probably follow. I probably do follow more women on Twitter than men, but you know, there's still still a few guys out there who are good for something. You know, yeah, like yeah. you and you know, well, there's, there's us. There's the two of us. I guess that's just it. You're right. That's, that's, that's it's that's the two of it. us, and then just women. That's amazing. I didn't realize that women. until just now. Is it a is it time for uh, highbrow lowbrow? What do you think, Mara? I think go for it. Absolutely. All right. Let's now go. I got Let's bad news it. for you, Mike. Bad news. Okay. I feel I, I was thought you I was hoping you'd win Mara's game because uh, this is the hardest version of highbrow lowbrow we've had. Here's this game. Okay. I really like my favorite thing in art is the mixing of of like really really smart humor and really really stupid humor. So okay. that's why Arrested Development is one of my favorite shows, because it certainly has the highbrow and lowbrow. Uh, this is not humor. This is just four questions, two of them more sophisticated, two of them less sophisticated. You only have to answer three. So you okay. can do two highbrows and one lowbrow, or vice versa, and they're all around a general theme, and the second one in the category is harder than the first. So they get progressively okay. harder within a category. So tonight's category... <laughs> And this is why I'm sorry. It's why it's hard. Is famous druckers, okay. famous druckers. Um, okay. And I will tell you this because it is uh, hard. Um, hold on, I'm trying to find. Oh, here it is. Um, I will say that the the highbrow are even harder than the lowbrow. I will uh, give you that little little advice. So you choose first, highbrow or lowbrow. Lowbrow. Okay. This Drucker, hailing from Brooklyn, New York, is one of the most popular cartoonists in the history of Mad Magazine. That is uh, Mort Mort Drucker. Correct. And that was the one I was confident you would get. So, all right, all right, you get three more questions, and you only need to get two more. By the way, Mort Drucker uh, used to always put Sias at high school, my old high school, in his drawings in the background. And uh, just and because I uh, saw that when I was a little boy, I always wondered, oh, I wonder if he lives in Syosset. Um And I don't know if you find this. Anything that – any question I had that was a question before the Internet existed, I don't realize I can Google it. 
Like if I had a no, question right never, now, I'd just no. Google it. But if I had a question that's been bugging me for 20 years, I still won't realize I can Google it because it entered my mind before the Internet. But I, I wikied it, and yes, that's true. He actually lived in Woodbury, Long Island, and so his kids must have gone to Sasset High School. Okay, you're one for one. Highbrow or lowbrow? Highbrow. Okay. <laughs> this Austrian-born... <laughs> Wow. It really wasn't fair. This Austrian-born management consultant helped define the foundation of modern business. Peter Drucker. Yes! (laughs) Yes! Peter Drucker. Yes! The only thing, like, I would not have gotten that, but I just figured if your name is Drucker, you probably pay special attention to Druckers. So maybe Mike has a shot. And now you've got more than a shot. You are two for two. You've got well, the hard thing more is, diff- those are the two Druckers that people ask about. Really? Ah. Two people who go, are you related to, like, how many people are you related to Mark Drucker, which I am not, and people say, are you related to Peter Drucker, which I am not. But, like, those are the two, so I'm interested to see where this goes from here. Right. Now, Mark Drucker, I clearly knew, like, that my whole life, and, and, and actually my shitty little drawing style is totally based off Mort Drucker and copying Mad Magazine as a kid. Peter Drucker I've heard of, but I never would have been able to get that question. Question right. Okay, so you've got to get you've got two more left. Okay. I'll give you this. They're both musicians, oh. and the the lowbrow, although not easy, is easier than the highbrow. I'll do lowbrow. Okay. This Drucker was the bass player for the Stray Cats, and I'm willing to accept either his real name, which obviously has Drucker in it, or his stage name. Bass player uh. for the Stray Cats. Mr. Drucker? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Leon Drucker is his uh, real name, Uh, and when he played with the Stray Cats, he was Lee Rocker. And I guess, you know, uh, the trip trip from Drucker to Rocker is closer closer than you'd imagine. Um, So if you're looking to hip up your, you know... Not as close as Drucker to Trucker, though. He really should have gotten into the true. But uh, but I'm envisioning a new stage of your, like, uh, a new stage of your uh, stand-up where you kind of go, like, Dice Man on us, and you wear a little jacket on stage, and you go by uh, Mike Mike Rocker. Or Mike Trucker. And then then do do a... fuck. Okay. Well, that leaves us with an impossible one, which you won't guess. But but you did did get two. This Trucker... Still alive, is a famous classical clarinetist. Uh, you know, you should probably just guess, you know, a first name and then follow it by Drucker. And I think it's your best shot here. Uh, not... You're Googling. <laughs> no, no, I'm not Googling. I don't want to cheat up. This is, I don't want to do it that easy. Uh, Martin? Martin? That's a good Fran- Stanley Drucker, and I'm Stanley, sorry. I tried Stanley to... and Martin are basically the same name. It's I have two out of four. Two out of four in the hardest highbrow, lowbrow ever is very, very admirable. And I I'll really searched it. hard trying to find the easier Drucker because I felt okay about the first two. Uh, but yeah, I'm sorry, man. No, I just couldn't okay. pass up. I couldn't pass up famous Druckers, you know. And uh, you know what could I do? I'm sorry. Oh. But, uh, you know, the good news is there was no awards for winning uh, these games. I'm glad. No prizes. <laughs> yeah, I'm you missed out on nothing them. but, you know, general general praise and acknowledgement <laughs> and a sense of pride, which, you know, let's, let's not pretend that you don't need that. But 
but it's okay. Maybe next time. There's, there's time to come. Um, speaking of things that you are doing that make you feel proud, uh, in addition to writing on the show and stand-up, you have your very own podcast as well, not just yeah. uh, appearing as a guest on ours. I know that that's amazing to our audience that there are other <laughs> podcasts out there. Please do not go running to them, uh, except for Mike's. You can check that one out. Uh, and your podcast is How to Be a Person, is that right? How to Be a Person. Um, you and the very funny Jess Dweck. Yeah, another Tonight Show writer, Jess Dweck, who is one of the funniest people on the planet. Um, very funny. We, we're both just very, very bad socially. And so <laughs> it's us bringing on people who like teach us different things about like just how to have a human existence. And some of them have been like some of them have been really useful. Like we had Albertina Rizzo teach us how to make friends. Um, my brother, who lives in Turkey, did like a whole thing about we did a Skype call, like a whole thing about how to live abroad and like tips on just how to move out of the country. Um, so yeah, so we just we just talk to people and they teach us how to be normal human beings, which we still haven't achieved. What is the most useful thing that you've learned then, since you've had all these people teaching you various types of tips? And we just want to we want to we want to steal what you've gotten, but only the best of what you've gotten. So if you could just like, you know, give us the, the 10, 15 second version of what's, what's the best thing that you've taken away. Um, I think um, in Albertina Rizzo's episode, she had this good thing about how like, you know, a lot of like, and, and you know, when you're trying to make friends, if you're trying to talk to somebody at a party or something, as long as you're not being a creep, most people want to have someone to talk to at a party. Right, and they feel right. like sort of flattered when someone talks to them. It's just a matter right. of, like, you know, remembering that both sides don't want to be the one who makes it weird. Mm-hmm. You know, right. as long as you're not, like, again, like, operative term being a creep, as long as you're not, like, you know, just trying to have sex with somebody, people are usually excited to talk to you just if, to talk to you. Right. This is fascinating because because wait, this is fascinating because because uh, I you know I don't I don't know Jess personally, but I know she used to work for you know the Comedy Central uh, when my friend uh, Dennis Claudio uh, did and um, and uh, you know and I had spoken to her very briefly on Twitter years ago and Dennis was in town and a bunch of Comedy Central people were hanging out and uh, and I asked her oh are you going to come out tonight and and hang out I'm going to be there. Um, and she didn't reply to that email, so I always thought she thought I was making a weird or being a creep, but maybe she's just horribly socially awkward and We're very gotten the lesson. And and you know she didn't show up. So and I thought maybe she avoided the whole the whole event and didn't get to say hi to Dennis because I was going to be there. But now I feel much better. Um, this this plays in perfectly to my theory, which is it's everybody else's problem and it's not me. And now I will just cling, <laughs> cling to whatever scrap of information I have to to put my shit on somebody else. So this is yeah. perfect, perfect. I think, and I think uh, you're right. Jess is very. That's funny, actually, by you the can way. you Jess, can have Wayne come on your show and, and teach you how to like put all of one's problems on other people. I think that's actually yeah, very yeah. Very yeah. Very that could be useful thing to blame. Yeah, but <laughs> probably everyone needs to learn that. So <laughs> how how often is the podcast happening? The podcast is uh, weekly. comes out okay. every Thursday. We have a new episode tomorrow, um, depending on when you hear this. Uh, but yeah, every Thursday. And how do I listen so, to it? You can go you right now, Stitcher or iTunes. Just search for How to Be a Person. Uh, the you know the logo is like a head that says How to Be a Person on it, so it's very 
very simple. But, you know, uh, either follow me on Twitter at Mike Drucker or just Google how to be a person podcast, just whack Mike Drucker, and you should find it. Just awesome. fine. Awesome. This is perfect. Good. Uh, yeah. you, will, you will now be the one other podcast that I will listen to. Um, yeah. And maybe... <laughs> <laughs> I've been, you know, I feel awful that you were a guest on our podcast before I've listened to your podcast. Cause I keep meaning Don't worry. To, but Don't worry. Uh, I haven't gotten to it uh, to it yet. I'm still smarting from the whole, you know, Jess thing from five years ago. So, you know, I'm it's trying to... No, it's never yeah. left him, frankly. It's we just actually, like been we, haunting him. We have, on our next episode, we have Emmy Blotnick, who is a writer for At Midnight. And, sure. Uh, yeah. She tells a Jess Dweck story where once Jess Dweck uh, just said, like, I'm sure in Jess's head, it's just like, oh, you look nice today. But apparently the way it came out was like, you look nice today. And so Emmy was worried about it for days. <laughs> like, just what she meant by it. <laughs> I, uh, I did one, very, yeah. I, Whenever that I comes did, out. I did my very first and very bad uh, stand-up at Emmy Blotnick's show at uh, was up, like, Upright Citizens Brigade. It was Sledgehammer. It was like one minute. It was like yeah. two minutes of yeah, that was my very first, and the, and it was packed, so you just got one minute of stage time. So she got to see me do my very excruciatingly painful first minute of stand up ever. So That's crazy. that was that was painful. Yeah, that was embarrassing. So now I hope she's forgotten that completely. Um, well, now we are in the final segment of the show, um, cool. which uh, we've called, for lack of a better name, the Knowledge Roundup. Um, okay. And that's when uh, we go around the virtual table and each say something that we have learned as a result okay. of today's uh, podcast. Um, okay. hmm, I don't have it yet. You should start thinking. Do you have one yet, Mar? Well, I have learned that uh, unlike the being cursed with the last name Chawastic, which lends itself literally the, the only thing I can do with Chawastic is just this podcast. That's it. Sticks and stones, that's the extent of what <laughs> Chawastic lends itself to. Uh, I, I apparently need to change my name to Drucker, which has, you know, trucker and rocker and yeah. apparently quite a quite a whole vast type of uh, professions that I might go into. So now now that is what I've learned. I, I <laughs> it's really all about the name and uh and I was cursed but yeah, I, I think well, Drucker you know, that's really not like the only thing you can do with your name. And, you know, when I once, uh, <laughs> when I, when I, early on when I first met uh, Mara, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna just cut you off here and say, okay, but what, even before you tell this, what can I do with that name? Think about what oh, I can I, do well, okay, with but that. This is too, All right, so, but go so, on. So, so her name is Chawastic, which is not the most common name, and and we were talking about like you know when you were kids, like people make fun of your name. And she and I said, Chawastic, do people make fun of your name? And she's like, well, yeah, you know, the one obvious one. And I thought about it, and I just went, um, Jawa's dick? <laughs> just kind of like a, Star, like a Star Wars reference. And Mara was like, um, no, Chapstick. And they said Chapstick. No, it's Jawa's dick. 
<laughs> yeah, I went my Jawa's head, dick. That's where my head was. The first thing I went to was Auschwitz, which is also not good. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, but the thing is, Jawa's dick, like, it really rhymes. You know, it's kind of like I felt, like, accomplished, like when they say, like, nothing rhymes with orange, and you're like, door hinge. Right. Um, so, yeah, okay. So your name is good for a lot of things. Auschwitz, uh, small sand creature genitalia, vaguely based on Jews in space, and uh, also swastika, you said they would say too, right? Which doesn't really rhyme. I, but yeah, yeah. Just it's weird so that really, Auschwitz and other swastika... Jew-hating, there's not a lot that's coming out of Auschwitz and swastika. <laughs> wait, wait, this is really weird, because you've got Auschwitz, you've got swastika, and you've got Jawa's dick, and clearly Jawa's are like space Jews, not as much as like the Ferengi, but, but you know, they're like little shifty, like, anti-Semitic little... Do you think this is why my, uh, little... my Catholic father had to marry a, a Jewish woman? It was like to make up for the history of what his name might be associated with? Yeah, Maybe. I think so. Children just to I overcome think so. that? I mean, yeah. you know, not to mention all the, the Polish guards at Auschwitz. I mean, Auschwitz was in right. Poland. So, uh, boy, this is, a com- this is a good comedy show. <laughs> <laughs> I hope, I hope, uh, oh, God, trigger warning. All right, so what did I learn? Well, I learned that uh, incessant uh, uh, Holocaust references are not always comedy gold, I think uh, is what I just learned right now. You just now. learned that now? I just, That's good. I just <laughs> learned that. You know what's funny is that, that woman, that woman that. in the audience, That the funny thing is, is that a woman in the audience who was made uncomfortable by Mike's, Mike's bit, like she probably would have heard this part of the podcast. Be like, no, I'm okay with all that. <laughs> that doesn't affect me. You can keep with the fucking Holocaust jokes. That's fine. I wasn't in the Holocaust, but that story that is about a subject which relates tangentially. Yes, please don't ever do that bit again. All right. And what did you learn, Mike? Uh, I learned a guy named Leon Drucker, which is pretty great. I like yeah, that. Great. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah, Stray I, kind of, I kind of like that. Yeah, I, 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 that's always a, it's always a, a kick to learn uh, someone with your name. All I get is the fucking um, Joey Gladstone from Full House. I get that, yeah. which is annoying. I, uh, I, uh, I forgot my, I forgot my card at like uh, BJ's, which is like I don't know if you have BJ's, like Sam, Sam's Club, Costco type place. So I had to yeah. stand in line and show my ID for the right to 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 shop there. And the kid goes, Wayne Gladstone, more like Joey Gladstone. And I was like, okay. And he goes, you don't get my joke. I said, I get it. I go, I get it, but did you really think I was going to laugh from just a mere Full House reference? Like that's all it was going to take? That's a joke? And he, uh, he then frowned a little bit, and then he said something to me, and then I said, cut it out. Like Joey Gladstone, and he didn't. He didn't laugh. I played along. <laughs> I came he was up with mad. nothing. He was mad, mad at you. that point. He was. He was actually mad at me. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we. I think we did it. I think we had a successful uh, show. Yeah. It. It. Mara? We did. We absolutely I, did. I think so. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I. I know in your busy. Uh, podcast schedule and, and other schedule. I, I'm assuming the podcast is the primary thing that you do. Um, but I appreciate you taking one night to join ours instead. And, and thank you so much for joining us. And everyone who's listening, thank you so much for listening. But don't 
you know, hang up yet because I, I will remember this order yet. We, I'm, with the knowledge roundup, I'm supposed to announce uh, next week. And next week, we, we have another guest in the giant cavalcade of white men who are our guests. We, we, we did want to shake this up. We got a couple of cancellations. But now you're just going to have to make do with like five straight weeks of uh, – this is no joke. Serious. Five straight weeks of just super talented, uh, funny white guys. So uh, next week, we have Bill Corbett. Uh, from Rift Tracks and MST3K, and uh, everyone should tune in for that. We have Jason Reed at Rotor from The Onion after that, and Jason Miller and Chris Monks. Uh, so we've hit a large stretch of talented white guys, and I just hope you'll all bear with us through this difficult time. Thank you all. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, and we will see you next week. <laughs>